the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and unto the ages of all ages, Amen. You'll find in today's Gospel something very peculiar and almost troubling to us sometimes. It says at the very beginning of the Gospel, it says that the Spirit led Jesus up into the wilderness to be tempted. And St. James tells us, um, in his epistle in chapter 1, he tells us that God does not tempt anyone, nor should anyone when they are tempted say, I am being tempted by God. And indeed, in, as in the gospel which was just read, Jesus was not tempted by God, but it seems like the Spirit led him along the way to be tempted. Of course, each one of us asks the question, could this apply to me? And there's a distinction here. Jesus his temptation was part of the program. It was part of the plan. And the reason why is what we're going to talk about. The temptations that I happen to encounter in life are not part of the program in the sense that God did not design them. God did not choose them. God permitted them. God allowed them because he knew that he could make something even greater out of them. But the Spirit indeed did lead Jesus to the wilderness for the purpose of being tempted. Why? Why? The Spirit doesn't do that with us. Why did, that, why did the Spirit do that with Jesus? Why was Jesus led to be tempted? It's actually, it's very, very simple. Because Jesus was tempted, Jesus fasted, Jesus was tempted, Jesus was victorious over temptation. Jesus has then opened the door for all of us to come and to become one with him and to share with him and to share with him in his victory. So he was tempted for us that he might be victorious for us. There was no doubt in the mind of Christ or in the mind of the Holy Trinity, however you wish to phrase it, that he would be victorious over temptation. It's like if you've been driving for a hundred years and you go and you write your driving test, you know, your, your written test with the road signs and such. The chances are you're going to pass. Nobody has too much of a doubt about that. If they did, then the, the Service Ontario or drive test people or whatever they're called would, you know, MTO, they would, they would come and they would enforce, a, a, you know, a, a, a written test every 10 years, a recertification or something like that. They've done that now in various different disciplines, you know, with continuing medical education, continual professional development in various different, in various different professions where they have a recertification exam every, every every 10 years or every 15 years or every however long because they want to make sure that people stay stay on their game Jesus was tempted not to prove whether he would you know fall in temptation or not no he was tempted for the purposes of being victorious into temptation so he could be the winning team and then he says come join my winning team so you can win with me that's the purpose of Jesus's temptation was so that we should fear temptation no more we should never be afraid of temptation I'm not saying we should we should desire it or welcome it or put ourselves in a position of temptation but 
we should not we ought not to fear it anymore why because we have a captain of our team whose name is Jesus and this captain has been victorious for his on his behalf and on our behalf and we'll find the readings all of the other readings have given us some hints towards how to be victorious in temptation in previous years I dissected Jesus's temptations and showed from various different parts of scripture that there are only three different kinds of temptations out there that the demons tempt us with. There's really only three. And then they dress them up in various different costumes, but they're essentially three. They're the lust of the flesh, and then the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. So, or they are the hedonism, the desire for pleasure, the inordinate or inappropriate desire for pleasure. Pleasure is not wrong. Jesus has pleasure. It is, the good it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. There's nothing wrong with pleasure, but pleasure out of place is sin. Right? So that's the first temptation. The second temptation was uh, humanism. Everybody, let, make everybody to worship you. Do some wondrous feat, some great act. You know, and everybody will clap for you. You, 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 me, 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 right? The me, me, me temptation, humanism. I, the first one, pleasure is God. The second one, I am God. That's what humanism is. And the third one is bow down, worship me. I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. The pan ultimate materialism, right? I will give you everything. You know, when you have, you know, a closet full of shoes and you want another pair, most of, that call, most of us call that being materialistic. But the devil wasn't offering uh, Jesus another pair of shoes. He wasn't offering him, you know, every shoe store in the world. He was offering him the whole world. So like the pan-ultimate materialism. And Jesus overcomes each of these temptations, hedonism, humanism, and materialism. And in previous years, we dissected them and we found other areas of scripture in the, the temptation in the garden and in uh, 1 John chapter 2 and in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where all of these three temptations are brought up again and again. And every temptation that comes our way can kind of fit in one of these. It's, it's going to be one of these. It's going to be a desire for pleasure, which is out of place, a desire for people's attention, people's worship, really, to redirect people's worship from worshiping God to worshiping myself, right? Pride and so on arrogance and all of that the second temptation the third temptation is materialism so we're just going to say a few words mostly from the other readings talking about how can we be victorious with christ the first thing and the most important thing is to make sure you're on the winning team the first and most important thing is to make sure that you are in christ if you're in Team Jesus, Team Jesus is going to win. You may lose a battle here and there, but the war is already won. And the war is already won, and Team Jesus is the winning team. And so Jesus is inviting you and inviting me to be on his team. Today is a gospel of good news. Today is a gospel of good things. 
that we ought not to fear temptation. We don't need to be afraid of temptation. Don't necessarily need to invite temptation, but we don't need to be afraid of it. In, in the first temptation, the, the devil says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, use your power to ch change these stones into bread. He's saying, you're hungry and you have power to create food. So do it. He's saying you have power, so use it. But the key here, what Jesus understood very clearly, and understands very clearly, and is calling each one of us to understand, is that the power which has been given to us is not for our pleasure, but is for the glory of God. Jesus never did a miracle to benefit himself. He healed the sick. He created eyeballs for a guy who didn't have any. He never did a miracle to benefit himself. He didn't walk on water so that the disciples would worship him. He walked on water so he could get to their boat because it was going to sink. He walked on water to save their lives. You see, there's a big temptation when you have power to use it. There's a big temptation... And the easiest way to deal with that temptation is just a really simple phrase that not everything that I can do is something that I should do. In my previous life in surgery, became very became very clear that it takes a few years to learn how to do an operation. And it probably takes decades to learn when you should do an operation. What patient will actually benefit from this operation? And we had a famous adage that we used to say all the time, not, you shouldn't do it because you can, you should do it because it's right or it's good. Not because you can, but because you should do it. And I'm sure it's the same, very, very similar in many other, in many other professions. When it comes to simple things like, like being honest with our friends, with our spouses, on our taxes, where, whatever it may be, we can get away with something, but that doesn't mean that we should. Jesus could turn those stones into bread, but he knew that it was a greater glory. It was better for him not to. You all are very intelligent and accomplished people in many different beautiful ways, uh, you know, in your professions, in your families, in your studies, in your, you know, and so on. And the, the, the grandmothers who have generations to show for their love and their care and, and people of, you know, very high standing in, in society or in their, you know, people who have etc., etc., the power that God has put in us is for His glory, not necessarily for our pleasure. The assumption that everything is for me is what leads us to the second temptation. Humanism. It's all about me. And the second reading was taken from St. James' epistle, where St. James is saying, when you show partiality amongst people, 
When you fail to treat everybody exactly the same way, not in a bad way, in the best way, when you, when you choose to treat one person better than another, I'm not saying that you don't have, you shouldn't speak the language of your audience, for sure. You know, I speak all the time. I spend a lot of time thinking about who I'm speaking to, almost as much as I think about what I'm speaking about. I'm not talking about that. That's being a wise craftsman. I'm talking about treating people differently, liking one person more than another. St. James is telling us that's partiality. St. James is telling us, isn't that judging? Isn't that judging? This person is more worthy of my time than this person. This person uh, is a better friend to me than that person. This, this relationship goes longer, will go the distance more than this one, etc. Isn't that judging? Now, if you're a judge, are you under the law or are you now the lawgiver? And if you judge and God doesn't judge, what does that say about your perception of God's judgment? Like, let's take it a classic example from the Gospels, okay? The Pharisees bring Jesus someone who's a sinner and they tell him, this person is a sinner. Jesus chooses not to judge that person. What does that, what does Jesus' action say about the, about the Pharisees? Well, it says about them that they shouldn't judge, right? What does their action say about Christ? It says they're saying about him, he should judge, right? So when I judge somebody that God doesn't judge, in a certain sense, St. James is saying, indirectly, I'm criticizing God. I'm saying, this is a bad person. God's saying, I didn't say that. Indirectly, we're telling God, you should say that. Indirectly, we're telling God, you're wrong, and I'm right. What have we done? We've reversed the roles. We've reversed the roles. Who is God? And who is the servant? Who is the master? And who is the servant? Oftentimes, people come to me and they've been praying about something for a really long time. And we pray about it together and so on. Sometimes, and this happens to all of us, me included, right? And so I try to be very gentle. I put myself in the shoes of that person and I can only, I can only imagine the suffering that this person is, is going through as they wait for God to answer them in what they've... But sometimes we get angry with God. See, anger is rooted in entitlement. When somebody, basic, okay, goofy, cliche example, road rage, I'm on the road, somebody cuts me off, I pull my window down, start waving my finger at them and so on. Why am I angry? Because that guy came into my lane, my lane. I'm entitled to this lane. I own this lane, you know, like, like God Almighty or the MTO or somebody, you know, gave me this lane. And as long as I'm in this lane, I own it. And this guy has trespassed into my lane. That's kind of how we feel. I'm being a bit facetious, right? And I'm making fun of myself, but that's how anger works. It's a sense of entitlement that doesn't belong. So sometimes we get angry with God. And when we get angry with God, what's really happening is we're telling God, look, 
I have a problem, you have a solution. Why are you withholding the carrot from me? Why aren't you just doing, why aren't you just fixing it? Why aren't you just doing it? In a certain sense, in a certain sense, we're telling God what he ought to do. There's a very big difference, a very big difference between asking God to do something. Lord, I'm not worthy that you should even look to me, but I'm in like a really deep hole. And it would, you know, it would, it would mean the world to me if you could throw me a rope. That's one prayer. Another prayer is, Lord, you are unfair that you're not doing for me what I asked you to do. Who is the master and who is the servant? This is another example of humanism. Another example of where the roles have become reversed. I am God. I ought to be worshipped by everyone else, including God. The solution is very simple. We just have to look at just if you if you want to know, OK, OK, Father John, I'm convinced that uh, that I can kind of fall into the first temptation, you know, inordinate abuse of pleasure. The second temptation, you know, a desire to be the center of the universe. OK, sure. What? So what? Like, OK, so what do you want me to do? What does Jesus answer Satan? If you want to know the, the solution Okay, the silver bullet, really, it's actually the silver bullet to any one of these three temptations, which are the only temptations that really exist out there. Just look at what Jesus says to Satan. He says to him, You shall not test the Lord your God. What does that mean? You shall not test the Lord your God. The word test there or tempt there means to scrutinize, to examine. It doesn't mean don't take an interest in God. For sure not. Take a great interest in Him. Why do you test things? You test things because you want to know. Uh, you, you want to. You, you have some. Some like a, you want to know what they're made of. Why do? Why do? Why do they make you do a math test in grade four to see if you can go to grade five math to see if you understand grade? Why do they make you do a driving test to see if you're safe to go on the road? Because they don't know. They don't know you. They all they did is see you walk in. To, 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 to the drive test center. They don't know if you're, are you, you're safe to, to be on the road or not. They know that you're able to tie your shoelaces. They know that you're able to walk in through the front door, but they don't know, are you actually able to drive safely or not? So they make you do a test. You do the test, you drive safely, you can drive a car on the road. You do a test, you don't drive, you're not, you're not safe, uh, maybe you need to practice some more, right? It's, it's, to examine, to see. Jesus is telling us, do the opposite. What's the opposite of testing or trying God? Believing in Him. What, what would happen if you walked into the drive test center and you said, I'm here to do my driving test and they gave you a sheet of paper that says 10 on 10. Here you go. They're like, what? They're like, you don't have to do the test. We believe in you. How would that make you feel? That's what Jesus is telling us is the solution to humanism. 
to believe in God. When you're praying and you're waiting on an answer from God, believe in Him. When you no longer have any reason, rational reason, why you ought to believe in Him, believe in Him anyways. And all the other examples that we, get, that we gave. When you look at a relationship, a friendship, and you feel there's nothing in it left anymore, I'm going to write this one off. I'm going to write this person off. And something inside of you says, no, don't. Treat that person the same way you, you treat the other person. Just treat people the way that God has treated you, not the way that people show you how you think they should be treated. Don't judge. Let judgment be God and God alone. But you treat people the way God has treated. When that little voice speaks in your heart and in mind, believe in Him. Believe that it is for your best interest and mine. Believe God. The last one is materialism. Materialism. He tells him, takes him up on a really high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, I will give them all all to you Jesus answers he says away with you Satan worship the Lord and serve him when we get tempted with materialism Jesus is showing us the way the easiest way is to worship him so stop pause find when you when that temptation comes your way and mine Find a quiet corner to go and to worship Him. Kneel down on your knees. You know, I've done this even in a washroom stall. Sometimes you can't find a quiet corner in the universe other than the washroom. I've gotten down on my knees and I've said, Lord, You are worthy of all the praise and all the worship and all the power, Lord. And I'm sorry for the humility of this place, but You were born in a manger, Lord full of manure, so this isn't that much different. You are able, Lord, you are able, Lord, as you turn that stable in Bethlehem into the most glorious place on the face of the earth, you, Lord, are able to turn this place also to the most glorious place on the face of the earth with your glory. When we worship Him, when we worship Him, we bring Him to remembrance. When we worship Him, we bring Him into this place. We unveil, we reveal the presence of God. And even a manure-smelling stable becomes the most glorious place on the face of the earth. And then in light of all of that glory, my materialism pales. It doesn't seem so lustful. It doesn't have the luster that it had before. It doesn't have the sparkle it had before in the glory of God. The other thing we can do, he says, worship Him and serve Him. I tell you, the best cure for materialism is available on Saturdays at 4175 Lawrence Avenue East and at 155 Broadview on Sundays called Sunday Suppers and St. Peter Mission Lunches. Go and sit and eat lunch, eat dinner with somebody who has a fraction of what you and I may have. And that is the cure for materialism. I have encountered more joy and more peace in my heart in those two places than I have in any shopping mall 
You know, I don't, I don't, I realized the other day I was walking with somebody and I realized that I don't think I've bought a single article of the clothing that I'm wearing for myself, either family or friends or whatever, right? And the other day, and this was, this was as we were going shopping and we were going shopping with somebody because they wanted my opinion about something. And so, you know, as a friend, I went, you know, it elicited an enormous amount of anxiety in me. There's all of these choices and all of these things. I was like, oh my goodness, I have been sheltered from this by the love of family and friends and so on. This is horrible. I'm never coming here again. So much peace. So much peace in not having to make any of those decisions. God loves you and he loves me. The, the message today is a message of good news. Forget everything I, I just said if you want to, okay? But remember this, Jesus was tempted on purpose. You and I are not tempted on purpose. You and I are tempted because badness has found its way into the world. Jesus was tempted on purpose because he knew that you and I would be tempted so that he could overcome temptation and so he could open his arms wide so the church could open its arms wide so you and me could open our arms wide and embrace the whole world into the victory of Christ and be victorious with him as he is victorious. God was victorious. Jesus is victorious for you that you also may share in his victory to never ever fear temptation ever again. Glory be to God forever and amen. I sin, forgive me, my fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, please pray.